Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by NCR's newly minted Dutch Lowlands and Caucasian Highlands correspondent, <laughs> David Avakian. David, thanks for being on here. Close listeners to the show will hear that we mention you a decent amount, but you're not actually on the show in, in, in full voice very much. So it's a treat to have you here as you're coming to us uh, from Rotterdam. Welcome. I am. I'm absolutely thrilled to be on the show and follow a long line of, of, of great people, really who I've been on before. Mostly you mean me, I, I hope, because it's I mean, just for trying, sure, just yeah. trying to suck up, I, uh, clearly. So let's make it mm-hmm. more concentrated. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. And Rotterdam is, uh, is in full flight, so I'm happy to be here. Good. So you are a yeah, freelance tennis journalist, commentator for Eurosport during slams and stuff. And, you're, and, and during Rotterdam, you're part of the social media team there for the tournament as well. For the ABN AMRO World Tennis Tournament, you were in California uh, already with Courtney, actually, when uh, Indian Wells was canceled last year. So it's been almost a full year now uh, since then. Uh, coming up, like this weekend, pretty much will be the sort of one-year anniversary of that cancellation. So, how does it feel to be back at a, uh, a tennis tournament after this long? Great, absolutely thrilled to be here as well. Um, because, yeah, as you said, we were in LA actually when the the cancellation was announced. I was there already. Yeah. I crossed the pond for that, and uh, eventually it didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a long, long time, and, and I was hoping to be able to go to some of the slams or one of the slams, um, but yeah, no luck, so I had to stay home. Luckily, we could continue and do like a lot of stuff for, from home. Actually, the commentating, I have been doing from my living room, so that's mm-hmm. all possible these days. Yeah, but happy to be here for sure, yeah. Actually, let's talk about that briefly before we get into this tournament. Like, what is it like doing remote commentary? You were in someone else's house, weren't you, for a while? You were in, like, a... I was. Yeah. Yeah. How did, yeah what was your setup like for doing, for doing remote commentary for Eurosport Netherlands? Yeah, so basically, um, the requirements for doing this uh, are having a very stable internet connection. You need to have wired internet. Wi-Fi won't cut it, or it's just unstable at times. You just get the headset at home and, and you plug it in and through all kinds of software, you get the feed on your computer, on your laptop. You don't need anything special. And then just two kind of software programs and, and that's really it. You're there. You have contact with, with the head office, Paris in our case, with Eurosport. That's really it. You can do it. You were able to feel like you're able to do an okay job commentating, even being tens of thousands of miles away from Australia or wherever else you were talking about? No, it was, it was, it was strange because the stadiums were empty. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's really the same. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 Cool. This tournament you're at, I mean, obviously, just seeing it on TV, it's very clear Rotterdam has a very different look to it than Rotterdam 2020. Let's talk about that part first. Let's talk about sort of the on-court part first, and we'll get to sort of the backstage parts later. But what, what can you tell us about what Rotterdam has done to make itself not just be an empty arena? It, it, there's a lot of clear like design elements and stuff yeah. in there. And it's very clear that, I guess, well, how long, I, I'll answer this in my question. I'm not 100% sure on this term. It's a lot to keep track of. How long did they know for this tournament they were going to have no fans? And because they really seem to have made a lot of efforts to, to fill it up and to make it like not just look like an empty box. Yeah, um, well, first of all, they, they were hoping until quite recently, actually, that they could welcome some fans. Mm. Uh, that didn't happen uh, in the end. Um, and they knew very early on that whatever happens, we're having the tournament. So ABN Amro, the bank who is behind this, 
uh, said that whatever happens, fans, no fans, we're doing it. And then they kind of discussed and thought of how can we make this a cool thing. And what they decided was we have to have a complete different mindset. This is not a tennis tournament in the traditional sense. This is going to be TV product. So they were thinking of the tournament and of the stadium and center court as a studio, a TV yeah. studio. And the main, main thing they didn't want was show empty seats. And I think they succeeded in that. They also didn't like the banners that we've seen at, on different tournaments when they cover the seats with mm -hmm. these kind of things. Yeah, I mean, they said it. They said it looks cheap to us, um, which we don't like. Uh, so we have to do something else. And they designed a very beautiful arena, if you uh, ask me. Um, they also lowered the quite famous, uh, to us at least, I don't know if, if you know that, the, the winner's ring with all the former champions. Mm -hmm. It's pretty high up always. It's between the first and second ring. So they lowered it also for the players to be able to see it. On the winner's circle, by the way, maybe the people who watch uh, the matches, uh, they've seen that in 1984, there are two champions. Both uh, Jimmy Connors and Ivan Lendl are on there. And that's because uh, on the finals day that year, uh, a call came in at two o'clock, an English-speaking gentleman said that uh, a bomb is going to go off today, people. So, um, yeah, they emptied the stadium and, and it was never played, the final. So two champions that year, that was pretty special. Um, when they come on, they have installed these large screens next to the, the place where the players come up. And on the screens, they show people from home cheering them on. So that's, that's also a, a pretty cool thing. And, and, and the players' boxes. Have you seen the players' boxes? I have not. So behind, you should really take are those a look the ones that are the in the shape players. of the logo? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's what that is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, the players' box. It's it's really it's really great because they are in, in full sight, and they were like, yeah, if we we do want to show like the few people that are inside. Yeah. So. Uh, no, but that's that's a, that's yeah. a really interesting way of putting it. I've heard that from people right away. I mean, I think we talked about this even on the podcast last year when we were talking to Mark Ein when he was talking about whether or not to hold the Washington tournament. And once you don't have fans, then your tournament just becomes essentially a soundstage. You know, for for television, and there's lots of different ways to think about that than it would ever be thinking normally about about an arena. And you see with like the sort of the cool green lights they have overhead mm -hmm. in Rotterdam and stuff, and sort of it looks a little bit futuristic, a little bit you know Tronish, but nothing nothing too crazy, crazy yeah. there. And importantly, no applause clapping reel. They hated that mm -hmm. idea. Nothing of that. They said we don't want to fake anything. Like we realize it's an empty stadium. Sure, we don't show the empty seats. But yeah, let's keep it real. Hmm. How does it feel differently for you backstage at the tournament compared to uh, compared to last year? Like, how different is your experience? Um, it's different in the sense that obviously the pressers they do take place. The players are in the same spot as always, um, hmm. but we can't go there. This is not much different from the rest of the tour uh, over the last year, and it's pretty calm here. Always. I'm always quite surprised, actually, that there is not more press here because we always have a, a very good field mm -hmm. of players and there's almost no foreign press, like maybe one or two um, British colleagues of ours, which is a shame because you can get so much here uh, because yeah. there's no transcripts. There's a lot of exclusive stuff to be, uh, to be uh, got here. Otherwise, backstage, I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge place, Ahoy, which is the name and, uh, of this arena, of this... It's not really an arena, it's a, it's a convention center, it's a concert hall, it's everything you can imagine. And they are also the owner of the tournament, the license holder. Hmm. And it's enormous. I mean, I don't know if, if, if it's known, but this is, in terms of square meters, the largest uh, indoor tournament, tennis tournament in the world. Like, it's unbelievable what they 
put up here every year in terms of the plaza and the shops and the bites and they have an entire special uh, children's court where it's just full-time the entire week children's activities mm. actually Sven Grunefeld the famous coach is always here and in charge of uh, of that yeah it's it's huge and now it's so empty so that's I guess the main the main problem I'm just excited that was the first Dutch pronunciation we got out of you during this episode and I'm sure it won't be the last yeah uh, I'm I'm going to keep Sven saying Grunefeld in other languages. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, keep lean into them. But we want yeah. this to be as authentically Dutch an experience as we possibly can get. <laughs> um, you mentioned the good fields you guys get there. And it's tricky with, and I obviously in my home tournament also is Washington. It's a 502. And we haven't had any, well, except for recently Murray, haven't had many big four or never haven't had big three, let's say, draw the line there in a very long time in Washington, basically not since any of them became big three have they showed up in Washington. Mm -hmm. So I sort of and I know that like in 500s has come up this week in Acapulco as well. Like 500s is kind of the level where appearance fees are probably most most at play where it's discretion, not mandatory tournaments for the players, but they have to play some. And so player, so tournaments sort of bid on them. There was some debate or miscommunication or something about Nadal's withdrawal from Acapulco, whether or not it was yeah. motivated by him not getting his normal appearance fee, which would normally be somewhere in the range of like $1 million or euros or something in pre-pandemic times, at least. Um, but he's also carrying injuries. So there was some, you know, back and forth about which was more motivating a factor in his decision. Probably both probably fair to say, I mean, yeah. in, in some level, but uh, for, for you guys, what can you say about how Rotterdam sort of makes its, makes its field in terms of that? And also, also how you brace for withdrawals, because that can be a big, a big factor at a tournament, you know, where, and like this is a standard thing for a lot of tournaments where you know they put Nadal or Federer or whoever else on the poster and then maybe they withdraw you know a week before and it's just a tough yeah. blow. Yeah, there's no getting around that here as well. We've had that many times that great great draws and, and all that was announced actually this time as well. We we were supposed to have uh, Nadal here and Bertini and Medvedev and Tsitsipas who is actually here, Rublev, like so many top ten players. And then uh, Nadal obviously uh, pulled out. Um, as for the uh, appearance fees, um, obviously they are offered here as well. Uh, there's yeah. no other way. There was, a, there was a graphic that got shown, I think, a few years ago for, from Rotterdam. Yeah, that was about, like, it showed that, like, Federer would be about 2 million, I think euros was the currency. Euros, I think, yeah. 2 million euros. And then uh, Nadal would be, like, 1.2 or something in that range. Yeah. And I know, like, from other, from other knowledge reporting, like, this is one surprise people, still surprises me when I heard it. Um, like Zverev back before this this happened was getting like four hundred thousand dollars to play yeah. Acapulco, which for someone who's never won a Grand Slam, and he still he still has had, had fans for sure, and was a I guess a relatively popular draw, I guess, at a tournament, but still someone who's yeah, it's that's a big part of the economy of tennis that people aren't really aware of. Yeah, and it's very hard to find transparency on. It's very hard to find details on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's it's probably not a thing you you want to share as a as, as a tournament or as a bank in our case because yeah. ABN Amro is a bank for for the record. Usually, you only hear it when the yeah. tournament's mad at a player. It's generally yeah. when it comes up when it's like we like when Jack Sock like was put in a really bad effort in Auckland one year, and they uh -huh. talked about taking away his hundred thousand dollar appearance fee because he was so bad. <laughs> his first yeah. round loss to Peter Goyovchik. <laughs> uh, well, here I can say uh, for this year that they did still offer it though appearance yeah. fee to oh, Rafa. It was okay. significantly less. They they didn't go into details, obviously, but they did offer something. Hmm. Um, as as for Roger, they were also hoping, as everyone really, that Roger would, would maybe make his comeback here. Um, that didn't happen. Um, they didn't actively call him and like go after him. But there were, uh, yeah, some, some phone calls between um, 
Rogers agent and, and Richard Krychek, the tournament director here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but look, they, they haven't been chasing anyone. Everyone has been just uh, subscribing or what do you call it, the list that you have to... to Entering to normally, yeah. Yeah, just enter normally. Even someone like Nishikori, who is, who is a pretty big star as well, he, he, he just signed up like a normal, yeah. normal player, so to speak. He had a good first round win too, Nishikori. Yeah, yeah, he's been playing playing very well, and and that's for the field this year. I mean, you mentioned it. We 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 still have a great field, even without Rafa and uh, without Berrettini. Uh, Medvedev, he he played here and he he called it maybe the best ATP 500 draw he's he's ever seen, and that's without these guys. So um, yeah, pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, so ATP officially asked Rotterdam to 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 make a bigger draw, and they declined. They just said, look, it's not interesting to us. It's just going to cost us more money. It's not going to give us anything. So we're terribly sorry, but it's just financially not feasible for us or not interesting. Um, but they did definitely ask, yeah. The You mentioned the appearance fee for Nadal, and I'm curious about that. Like, what we, I guess maybe this is not a question for you, maybe it's a question for Krychek, but what is the sort of benefit to having that kind of caliber of field when you aren't selling tickets? You know, what, what is the marginal benefit of having Nadal versus not Nadal? Is it just about, I guess it's just about TV ratings or how direct of an impact does that have on the tournament? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's also a reason because um, it's less important that they didn't chase anyone. Like they didn't like offer uh, Federer, for example, anything. They just said, right. sure, you're welcome here. Um, but yeah, it's all about TV. For sure, it, it doesn't matter. And speaking of TV, actually, the entire uh, country here can watch this tournament for free. Um, we mm. have had some shifts in, in, in television rights here. Actually, ESPN, the American ESPN, has, has, has come up on, on the Dutch market now, and they, mm. they, own, they own all the, the women's tennis rights, um, and another party has, has this, and all the ATP rights, and, and they've opened it up to the open network, as it's called here, and everyone mm-hmm. who has a television can, can watch it. Nice. Yeah. What was so? What's been like the mood of the of the tournament? I'm curious. I, again, I haven't been on, I haven't been in tournament since Australia last year. I'm mm-hmm. debating currently and tell listeners debating whether or not it makes sense or if it's viable or whatever to go to Miami or or Charleston, which are gonna be you know the closest possibly gettable events for me uh, in a long time. But I'm curious what yeah you know, what it's like. What the mood of the players? Do they feel like they're in good spirits? Are they exhausted of bubble life at this point? Is it a mix or or how is uh, do they enjoy seem to enjoy having the kind of whole place themselves on some level or Hey, what's the what's the vibe like? Well, the bubble here actually is is there is a bubble for the players, but within it they can do a lot of things. There's a ton of practice courts, which always makes the players uh, very happy. Mm-hmm. That's been uh, very good for them. They seem happy. They seem a little annoyed with the courts. It's very slow, and the balls are very slow, and that kind of things. Zverev made a whole point point about it. For example, what did what did Zverev say? Well, he that that he just. It's not going to get better for him at this tournament in the future either, he said. Like, I, I, I'm here, he got a wild card, but I just don't feel well here. And that's because of the balls in the court, is, mm. is his uh, opinion. Yeah, so, but, but generally, they're, they're pretty happy. They, they live in the bubble. They, um, yeah, I mean, we, we can't see them. We can't go near them, uh, which is also a great thing for, for tennis players, uh, maybe, that they don't have to face <laughs> the press <laughs> directly. So... Uh, they seem pretty pretty okay with 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 all of this. Obviously, they miss the crowds. That's what they keep saying. So um, yeah, yeah. And how about just like competitively? I mean, like, there's been some like some matches have got. Obviously, Andy Murray gets a lot of attention whenever he plays. Now, yeah. um, his matches got a bunch of attention. 
I got PTSD from him drawing Robin Hassa in the first round. Those Murray Hassa matches should never happen again. They put us through absolute hell at the U.S. Open repeatedly. Yeah, I guess what, what, do, what can you say about the sort of on-court play? There's been a bunch of upsets, obviously, a bunch of big players losing first round, but also uh, yeah, some obviously still solid names in there since the past one today. Plus Hachinoff in the next round. That's a very solid yeah. quarterfinal for a 500. Uh, yeah, what, what can you say about the sort of I guess, the on-court product? And I guess maybe even more largely, if you want to zoom out, maybe if you can say like how this tournament, I guess, sort of maybe if to zoom out a bit shows like what this current state of men's tennis is right now, because you have a pretty big sampling of like the best non-big three players who are in the straw or who started in the straw at least. I mean, we, we had Medvedev here and, and up until he lost, I guess, in the, in the Australian Open final, he was kind of uh, the man. And it was the question whether yeah. he was going to continue uh, or begin another streak or anything, or, or is this kind of uh, a dip in level for him? And um, like his state, I can say of that, his match was crazy. I don't know if you saw any of that. And the way he was behaving <laughs> in the match, it was... No, I didn't see, was, actually, I didn't see, I didn't see, I didn't see that one. What he, happened? He had the, a weird uh, discussion with the umpire. He had a, the strangest no-look shot that was pretty outrageous it was just why he was doing it was was yeah i mean he got a point penalty he was he was shouting and and, and the whole thing so <laughs> clearly he, he he's 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 not in the, on the role that he was before then Tsitsipas, obviously who hasn't played that well here um in the past he's, he's been here many many times um maybe he will be be the next one to uh, to do well at these uh, tournaments rublev is obviously rublev as, as he has been the last uh, year so yeah I'm, it's it's been a, a bit tough to say actually because like half of the seeds have done well, the other half hasn't. Like the top half of the draw is uh, is, is seedless. Yeah, the draw is kind of lopsided point. now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so everyone's in the, in the bottom bottom half uh, now. But what, one player who sort of intrigues me in this in this field and this and stuff this part here, but uh, Martin Vucevic, I feel like it's very mm. quietly. I think he's out in court maybe next, but he's very quietly building like a very solid sort of like, he's going to be start being seated at slams at this level kind of player. Yeah. He, uh, he was the, kind of the wins top he's pulled seat. off beating Vavrinka, Australia. Yeah. Yeah. He was top seed in qualifying. Good. So um, yeah, he, he qualified and he's, he's playing pre- pretty well, really. Um, okay. I always like watching yeah. him. He's, he's kind of like when you would, would teach a kid, I guess, how to, how to play tennis and then you need a sample. He'd be a good one to, to show yeah. because everything seems to be yeah, right. Yeah, he's a very textbook player for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, the qualifying draw was, was very strong as well. Actually, you mentioned the seeds. So the original draw here, so all the players that entered, were all, like 100% of them, uh, were seeded players at the Australian Open, the entire draw. So 32 wow. seats. Like oh, wow, yeah, them. you're right. Yeah, yeah. So that was before Rafa. That's and, a good stat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the draw. Yeah, you're right. That's That's pretty... That's pretty impressive mm-hmm. stuff. You mentioned one, one story, Angela, sure, you mentioned, yeah. I think you're going to tell, in terms of just how this tournament can go different ways, your friend uh, Abe, yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. What, happened with, what happened with him? Can you tell that story? Uh, yeah, for sure. This was 2006. Uh, he, uh, it was announced that both Rafa and Roger are going to be here. So obviously, um, yeah, big news. So he was one of the first people to, to get a ticket um, for the final, assuming that they both make it. Mm-hmm. So he paid 42 euros for the ticket. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, as it can happen, the cancellations and withdrawals came in, and both Rafa and Roger didn't come. Mm. And to add on that, the final ended up being not what you want, so to say. Um, it was Radek Stepanek against Rokus. 
I don't know if you remember the Rokus brothers, and it was, oh, yeah, the, sure. I guess, the lesser of the two. Oh, Christoph Rokus? Made it to the final. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh. And the final took 42 minutes. Uh, and as I said, Abe paid 42 euros for that ticket. So, uh, yeah, that didn't turn out the That's way That's the thing expected. with tennis that, like, I feel like people who are, like, huge fans of the sport don't always appreciate, like, how, like, weird a commodity a tennis ticket can be. Because you just have, like, yeah. no guarantee of anything coming. You don't know until the night before who's going to be playing in a time slot, generally. And, like, somebody can, like... I remember... I've, I've, this became very clear to me. My dad, he came one time to, like, Cincinnati, one of the first years I was covering it, just to sort of go as a fan. But he only got tickets to, like, one session. And he got... Look, it's, like, a women's semifinal. It's, like, the afternoon session. And it was Anna Ivanovich against Kleisters, I want to say. And in, like, the second game of the match, Ivanovich, like, rolled her ankle and withdraws and so he like came all the way to Cincinnati to see like yeah. one game <laughs> one completed game it's <laughs> all I got and like and there was doubles I guess afterwards which he stayed and watched but yeah it's just it's just a weird it's the uncertainty of tennis has always always been sort of a, a big weakness and I don't know this is it, this is a different for debate to spring on you suddenly but I know it's got discussion is this a way is this a way for you to to to, to get this discussion to the best of three best of five no no I wasn't even gonna go, I wasn't even gonna go there for that because <laughs> Honestly, that's any argument for best of five is it guarantees you at least longer matches potentially, even if it's a route. And that's just something to look at mm-hmm. um, for longer, but um, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing always. But this idea that came up, I guess it came up when, uh, I think that's what Chris Clary actually was when he brought it up in Indian Wells, last time there was Indian Wells in 2019, when I want to say, I believe Nadal withdrew from the semifinals of that tournament and gave Federer a walkover into the final. I think that was 2018, actually. Okay, 2018. Yeah. Okay, sure. 2018. And, like, that match had been, like, scheduled to be, like, on, like, big, some big American TV channel. It was on ABC, I think, which is a very rare chance for tennis to get on, like, main broadcast free-to-air, if you'd say TV. And there was no, just, there was just no match. Like, there was just nothing in that slot then. And, like, would it have made sense for, I want to say it was, like, Karen Hatchinoff, who was, like, lost in it all in the quarterfinals, to be able to, like, get a lucky, lo- a mid-tournament lucky loser yeah, into right, the next yeah. round. I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting sort of discussion. I'm not like, I'm not immediately opposed to it. I don't think, you know, yeah, sure. It would add maybe some more asterisks to, to some titles, but I don't yeah. have a problem with, cause, but there's already that with lucky losers and qualifying. And I think it's more important to have the matches and the product sometime than to just have yeah, a tough. pure competitive. Uh, yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? I mean, you'll always get the discussions about players saying that's unfair. Why, why does that guy get the slot and why, like how, how do you decide who gets to play? Who takes, takes that empty place yeah i'm 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 not entirely sure and you know we know tennis is pretty traditional and as oh, you've yeah. as, as you've experienced uh, oh yeah many many times and we've witnessed all of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um speaking of things we've witnessed courtney and i've often joked at the the beautiful language which you, you guys speak there in, uh, in rotterdam the dutch language just an absolutely beautiful mellifluous tongue mm-hmm. <laughs> to be sure. And um, there are a bunch of Dutch names of players uh, that don't sound much like anything we've ever heard um, in the way we approach them. So can you give a, a sort of Dutch uh, uh, phonics lesson here and, uh, and and go through some of the names of the, the players? Well, I, how about I'll say the names and then you tell me how you would say them. Okay? Let's do it that way, yeah. All right, so this guy who played Andy Murray in the first round. That's easy. Robin Hasse. Okay. Uh, what about the, the, I actually won't even say the names. I'll just sort of give hints and you say there. Okay. Okay. What about this woman who got wheeled off the court in a, in a wheelchair at the French open after winning a match? 
uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Kiki Bertens. Okay, see, that's not that bad. What about the one who has the same first name as uh, Sancho Sicario? Aranskaris. Aranska. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know why that's the case, but, but it is, yeah. Okay. What about this guy who lost in the first round to uh, Chorich in Rotterdam? New guy. Oh, you, you must mean Botik van de Zandschulp. Yeah, I do mean that. Yes, exactly. What, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, uh, this, is, this is what I'm really waiting for. I'll just I'll get right to it. I know, uh, yeah. The, du- the double specialist uh, woman who always wearing the, uh, the shorts and I think is partnered with uh, Kveta Peschke, among others. Uh, what's, what's her name? That's the one and only Demi Schuurs. I can't do that. I yeah, I mean, it. it's, Say that it's again? The... Say that again? Demi Schuurs. So weird. And it's so that weird. combination of letters, S-C-H, which is the sch, which is, I, I realize, pretty tough on, on the ears. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then ears. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's, I mean, we can go on. I mean, you can cut this if, if, it, if it goes on. Go ahead. So you, you, when you combine certain letters, um, like an E and a U together becomes O. Mm. A U and an I together becomes O. Then you have the A and the U is O. So, and so forth. Okay, okay. <laughs> Any other Dutch players who I haven't named here uh, who would be useful Matvey Middelkoop, Wesley Kolhoff, Talon Griekspoor. Yeah, Griekspoor. Yeah, um, what else? Um, oh, we had it. Timo de Bakker. Maybe you remember him. I mean, he's, yeah. he's not, not playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much, I remember Timo de Bakker. Uh, interviewed him back in early days. One of my first ever like, in-person one-on-ones was with Timo de Bakker in Cincinnati. Speaking of beautiful sounds, yes. quick transition to the next big event happening in the Ahoy. Mm. Uh, in a few months, uh, Eurovision Song Contest scheduled for a second straight year in Rotterdam after getting canceled last year. It seems like it's still on as of now. It mm-hmm. seems like it's still going to happen. I don't know if it's clear if there's going to be fans or not. In Rot- I believe there are planning on being fans. I don't know. I mean, that's still TBD. I'm so sorry. I, I can't answer that question. Yeah, uh, that's okay. But yeah. but I'm just I'm just curious. And if the answer is no, that's a fine answer. But like, are there any signs or like any buzz about Eurovision? I know last year there was. Last year you had like the. Uh, uh, the, the Greek representative who was living in the Netherlands, like there to meet oh, Sissipas right. and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I haven't seen any signs, but there's always Eurovision buzz in, in Holland, and especially if we're organizing. I mean, we love organizing events mm-hmm. over here, and Ahoy is really, it's a great venue. Um, but yeah, what can I say? There's always a, a big following here. There's always been, I think, I mean, you know this better than I. Holland is, I believe, one of the first and like not the founding father but, but i think they were definitely. one of the original seven yeah, yeah who was okay, in the first edition of eurovision i believe so yeah yeah um so it, it has a huge huge fandom here for sure cool. and Good. they're thrilled uh, i mean i'm thrilled as well why not that it's going to be here yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're thrilled uh, yeah, it's very exciting very exciting times and i'm sure you guys would be very good hosts who would speak better english than your average eurovision hosts a lot of times um, mm. hopefully <laughs> yeah. have a good sense of humor about you so appreciate yeah. that David thank you very much before I go obviously one thing Courtney and I and you talk a lot about together is the, the beautiful world of cinema um, it's going to be sort of awardsy type season now soon do you have any recommendations for uh, recent movies that people you've seen that our listeners uh, should check out Mank why Mank 
because it's the best. It's absolutely stunning, that movie. I've seen it so many times at this point, and it's my favorite film of the year for sure. It's just, I, have you seen it? Not yet. But yeah, I watched Citizen Kane in preparation to watch it. Yes. I wanted to watch Citizen Kane first, and so I watched Citizen Kane. Very good, very good. Good movie. Uh, yeah, good movie. People, people, people don't really know that, but it's a good movie, yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, people. 1941, all the stuff that was done in that movie. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, but Mank is kind of about it, but also not. So watch Citizen Kane for sure before. But if you don't, I guess you can still enjoy it. Just because the screenwriting is unbelievable. The looks are perfect and the acting is very good as well. Um, more films I've seen, I actually quite like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as well. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay. Yeah. Because I was rooting for Gary Oldman to win the Oscar for Mank. Then I saw um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and, and I read all these pieces about that Chadwick Boseman is most probably going to win for his role in that. And I, I was a leader kind of supporting for that. Lead, lead. Okay, yeah. And then when I saw that, I was like, okay, it's obviously he passed away. Everyone knows that. And sometimes you get that when, when they just give it because he passed away. It's a sentimental away. pick. Yeah. 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 But, but I mean, he, it's, it's really an unbelievable performance. So okay, definitely good. watch good. that as well. And also the movie that you watched recently, I believe, uh, with Jesse Plemons and... Um, I have not yet seen this. Uh, you're, you're, I think, I'm thinking of ending things. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, yes, yes. I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I have not seen that yet. That's on my, it's, it's on my list for sure. It's, it's, it's Courtney crazy. is obsessed with that movie, or is like very fascinated by it. I yeah, say. I know, I know. It's, uh, it's, it's very disorienting, to, to say it in, in okay. one word. Cool. Um, yeah, those are the ones, I guess. You are very the opposite of disorienting. You are very comforting and securing <laughs> for us with your, with, your, with, your, with your calming knowledge and Dutchness and your ludicrous pronunciations of demi -sures. So thank you. Thank you, David, for uh, being on here. People can follow you on... Uh, where can people follow you? Race is a question. I mean, I'm, I'm not a great tweeter. Uh, I'm, I always envy... No, you're not. You, you, could you could really be better. I, I always envy how you guys are able to just go for it all the time. I'm, I'm much more of a follower, but um, I'm at Davavaki. Also, I mean, what is that? What does that even mean? We'll link on, yeah. we'll link on, your, on the other Okay, page. yeah. Thank cool. you very much for having okay. me. It was great. Thank you. Thank you all. I'll shoot me. So thank you to David Avakian for joining this week's show. And thank you all very much for listening. And apologies for the very lo-fi audio on my end of this conversation with David. Just seconds after we started recording, it seemed like a cavalcade of lawnmowers and other landscaping equipment fired up across the street from the window in the room where I'm recording and in my own local recording, which is usually what I swap in uh, to be high, pretty high grade, sounded like it was in the middle of some sort of ancient World War One propeller plane fight or something. So I had to use the Zoom backup audio for the episode. Hopefully it was listenable, uh, but apologies that it wasn't up to our normal audio standards here. We have more shows coming for you soon, hopefully without landscaping interruptions. Our Middle East correspondent, Reem Abuleil, will be checking in as the tours both visit Dubai. Courtney and I are going to do something probably for our Patreon about the year in movies once the uh, Oscar nominations are out. And speaking of Patreon, thank you all ever so much for your support there. We hope you enjoyed the 10 shows we did last month on our main feed. And that wouldn't be feasible without your support on the Patreon. So thank you there. Uh, we were really happy. I don't know if we talked about this, but we were really happy to get to do a Patreon backers only Twitch live stream for a few hours recently uh, with Courtney and I chatting and yammering with folks on Twitch and getting to know some of the Patreon folks a bit better, which was great. 
uh, in the chat, and hopefully we can come up with some more stuff to do like that soon. And since this is the first episode of the month of March, we have many Patreon thanks to get to, but firstly, thanks to the new backers since we last did a show, who are Alyssa Lee, Matt Perucker, and Chris Bishop, as well as James Hindle, who increased his pledge. So thank you, James, for that. And now we get to our on-tour backers, who we thank on the first show of each month, and they are Barry Wagner, Ann Worcester, Andrew Meyer, Nick Sicardi, Mallory Mappas-Couture, Laura Vergani, Aluko Hope, David Ebersoff, Ken Solomon, Kathleen Sharkey, Stephen Tidings, Daniel Hartzell, Horatio Silva, Misa Miyagawa, Annie Kim, J.B. Wogan, Jillian Dobson, Helene DeWitt, Andrew, The Body Surf Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Steph Chow, Joy Katz, Greer Millard, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Rumdwolf Wong, Harish, Elise Panyich, Kate S., Jeremy Blackstock, Dermot Harkin, and Lori Porter. So thank you very much to all those folks. Many of them have been with us for a long time now, so it's very cool to see. Thank you. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers. We thank every episode as well. Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Anna Valinder, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, Antonio Maycumber, and James Hindle, who moves into that group. And our GOAT backers, we also thank every show, Mike, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, Chris Bishop, and J-O-D. Thanks very much, guys. See you next time. Bye. Your you have been going through these stages Now it's time to turn